Good afternoon. Good morning, Bryant. Hi. How are you on this beautiful? It's supposed to be Thursday today. Thursday when this <laughs> when this here podcast episode airs. It'll be Thursday. <laughs> How are you today? Uh, I am okay. Yeah, I'm good. There's a lot. There's a lot happening. I just think it's <laughs> in, it's my, in, in my orbit. Yeah. I feel like you can't, it can't be December though, without there being a lot going on. I think just inherently it's a crazy month all around. I mean, holidays aside, you're starting a new year, you're wrapping up this year, particularly as business owners. I think it's just a stressful kind of crazy month all around. Yeah, I would agree with that. Know what I'm saying? (laughs) I do. I do know what you're saying. I would agree with that. And then, you know, I guess you just sprinkle in everybody's details from there. Mm-hmm. Family so. stuff and my my kids being in the last few weeks of school and what that entails and I have many many batches of cookies to bake before the night is up for yourself or for somebody else for me for we have a yes <laughs> we have a cookie party every year where they decorate the cookies so I have to bake all the cookies and I have to bake two batches because we always have a child that attends that has some specific allergies. So I have to have a specific set of um, non-offensive cookies for her. Mm-hmm. What's a cookie party? Just like in your kid's class? Um. Well, this year it's her friends, her little friend group, which is much the same as it has been other years, but she's also on a volleyball team. So some of the girls from volleyball are coming and they, we bake all the cookies and then they decorate the cookies. That's so cute. cookie party is basically, they do sugar cookies with all the bells and trimmings and things and really just feels like a lot of work for me. Mm-hmm. And then about 30 minutes into it, the cookies have lost their luster and they want to do TikTok. So <laughs> I will bake cookies all night. And then on Saturday when I'm sitting there with the other mothers, We'll just watch them make ticky talkies and then we'll make the cookies themselves. Yeah. That's actually a really good segue into our podcast episode today. Mm -hmm. Um, The topic Ah. of social media and how much it takes up your life. Um, (laughs) I don't think that was the intended topic. Definitely. It was not the intended segue either. It just happened naturally. Because as yeah. we've learned, social media permeates into every fiber of our beings in this generation of life. Today on the podcast, we actually have my very best friend in the whole world. Her name is Jillian Kozlowski, and she is the owner and founder of Snooze Baby Co. Jill and I have been best friends in sixth grade. Um, it actually makes me want to cry when I think about having her in my life because she has been such a pivotal person and every I mean she Jill has been at every big moment in my life she's been a part of which is just I don't know really beautiful um but a little bit about her so Jill is a certified pediatric sleep consultant and she has a master's in psychology and over 15 years of experience working in education before pivoting her career to support families through sleep consulting. Essentially, it's her mission to reach parents or future parents to break down some of the stigmas around baby sleep that are so prevalent in today's society. Yeah, and she just wants to empower others through her own parenting journey and obviously and the rest of the world. She's got like a boom in social media channel so y'all should all check that out at snooze baby co 
and yeah, it was just a really crazy kind of conversation with her today. Um, her Aaron gets a little heated about her views on social media, and it's really entertaining. So, <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear Aaron get fired up? You're gonna hear her get fired up today. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, All right, y'all enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Protected Space Podcast. We're so excited to have Jillian Kozlowski here with us today. She is the founder of Snooze Baby Co. and also um, one of my very best oldest friends of all time. So I'm just so excited that she's here and that somehow our paths have kept crossing over and over and over again for our entire lives. And now we're here. So anyways, hi, Jill. Welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, could it not have you? <laughs> um, Jill, tell us a little bit about yourself and like what led you to Snooze Baby Co. and all of the, the path, the why, the whole thing. Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me here. My name is Jillian Kozlowski or Jill go by either one. Um, but yeah, like Bryant said, I am a pediatric sleep consultant. Um, it's kind of funny, my life path that has led me to this calling now. Um, but I am the founder and owner of Snooze Baby Co. I am a mom of two. I have a just turned five-year-old and a one-year-old, almost two. Um, and how I became a sleep consultant. I feel like all of my professional and kind of personal path has led me um, unexpectedly to, to what I do now and what I love to do. Um, I spent over 15 years working in education programs for both the military and higher education. I have my master's in psychology. Um, Brian and I go way back from being ballet dancers together. So we have, yeah, it's quite, quite a history. Um, but so I, you know, I worked in education and then, um, in 2018, I had a difficult pregnancy. I mean, I was fortunate not to have, um, fertility struggles with, with my children. Um, I do have an autoimmune disorder and, um, my pregnancy with my first was, was very scary and, um, you know, lost 20 pounds in my second trimester and was kind of a, rough journey to get there. But when, you know, we were fortunate to, to have her born full term, um, getting thrown into, um, motherhood was, a, was a little more shocking than I expected. I'm, I'm one of six kids. I love kids. And I feel like I, you know, kind of raised my younger brother since he was so much younger than me. And we just kind of expected to all fall into line naturally. Um, and it kind of was anything, but, um, she was, you know, quite a difficult newborn, lots of, lots of crying, difficulty sleeping. Um, and I kind of felt like I should, should have it figured out myself. Um, and so for the first almost year and a half of her life, we just, we weren't sleeping at all. Um, and it wasn't until I realized that sleep consulting was a thing. I didn't even know that there were people out there that could help you teach your kids how to sleep well. And I also felt like, you know, I don't really need anybody. I'm, I'm the mom. I should know how to do this. 
Um, but once we did get support, our lives were completely transformed. Um, and I knew going through that and um, kind of the, the shame and guilt I felt around it to, to reaching out for help and then how transformative it was in my life that I needed to, to do this for other people like us. Um, and so that's when I, I got trained in, in sleep consulting, launched my own business, left my full-time job directing um, programs at the, at the University of Texas is where I was working. And now, um, you know, Snooze Baby Co. is my passion and, and empowering parents with um, sleep help and just validating the struggles that it's okay to, you know, love your child so much, but also understand that you might need some help, um, whether that's sleep you know, feeding, parenting, any of the, any of the different things. So um, that was kind of a long intro, but um, yeah, what's <laughs> cool about me? <laughs> I love that, Jill. I also totally forgot Jill lives in Austin for forever and so did Aaron. Um, so y'all have an oh, Austin. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. I did. I went to graduate school there. I went to acupuncture school in Austin. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, we were there seven years. And then um, the past two years we spent in Rochester, New York, while my husband was attending grad school. And now as of a month and a half ago, we're in Denver, Colorado. So kind of hopped around. <laughs> ah, that's a fun hop though. Coast to coast. Oh, definitely. Coast to mountain. Right? I know. <laughs> well, thank you for that very awesome intro. Um, I also just want to say that Jill is like the most impressive person I've ever met in my entire life, literally. <laughs> I feel the same about you. So, oh, yeah. Just to give a little backstory on Jill and I's friendship. Um, the first time I ever met Jill was we were in sixth grade and um, Jill wore a blue leotard to auditions for her Valley Pensacola, the company we used to dance for. <laughs> And everyone else was wearing black because you were supposed to wear black. black. And Jill was wearing a blue leotard. And yeah, we um, grew up together and then we lived together in college. And yeah, I don't know. We just have been, she's been my ride or die for as long as I can possibly remember at this point. It's really awesome. I know. And I also have to add that that was not my choice to like be an individual and wear blue. I was one of six kids and it was like, oh my gosh, let's just get her any sort of leotard. And then I showed up like, Oh my gosh, mom, everyone has black. I have blue. <laughs> the BB wanted to be my friend. So that, that helped. <laughs> you can't not be Jill's friend. She's the most infectious person I've ever met. Oh, oh man, I appreciate that. You made me blush. <laughs> Anyways, well, we're really excited to have you here. And I don't know, I think we wanted to talk a lot about how you feel about perfectionism. And it's something that we've, a subject that we've become very, um, not attached to, but very interested in um, perfectionism and overachieving around infertility and then how you maybe see it as it carries on into parenthood. I think that it's something, and there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt in infertility. And I have encountered several of my friends who've been through infertility, who um, have issues with sleep with their baby. And their reaction every time is like, I am not allowed to ask for help. I've wanted this my whole life. I can't complain about not sleeping. I can't ask for help. I can't complain about not sleeping. I can't complain about anything because this is what I've tried so hard my whole life to get. So there's no room for me in this space. And so, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting topic. And I know Erin has a lot to say about it too, is she had a lot of sleep struggles with her twins when they were younger. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that I appreciate you sharing that that piece too, because I I see that with the the families that I've worked with as well, especially for people who have had infertility struggles, that there is this 
you know, already in parenthood, just with social media and all the things, there's so much, you know, pressure and like shame and guilt and just with the amount of information that's out there just on parenting in general. And then when you've also had this, you know, particularly difficult struggle and have, you know, you had this beautiful baby in front of you and you know so many people that aren't at that same stage as you, the, the parents that I've heard from that have had that journey, there's this even heavier layer of guilt and shame. Like, you know, I have, I have this beautiful baby here. I should, I should just figure it out because there were times when I heard people with babies and I didn't care if they were, you know, I just want a baby. I didn't care if they were sleeping or not. Like I would go through all of that because I just want this baby. So then, you know, when maybe your motherhood or parenthood kind of hits you like a brick and you're like, wait, I'm supposed to be so happy but I'm also not getting this basic need of sleep that, you know, would make anybody not able to function well, you know, even as, as happy and as, you know, how much love you have for this, you know, little child, you're still not getting those basic needs, but it can feel so like, you can feel so much guilt from what I've heard from, from clients that, you know, it's like, I should just be happy. Even if I'm, you know, sleep deprived, I should just figure it out. Um, you know, and that, and that's, you know, that two things can be true that you can love your child so much and want and need sleep. And that doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. I think that's so interesting. Cause I think like, I, I think about some of my friends who haven't had any infertility issues and like, like I find myself just because of my own insecurities being like, I would never complain about not having sleep with, mm-hmm. you know, but I would have never thought otherwise unless I knew about you, you know, like your, my selfish thought would be like, well, I would never complain about that. Like, because I would have the baby here in my arms. Like that's all that would matter, but that's not all that matters. And like, it took you going through your, your journey with Elodie that I really realized, wow. Oh my gosh. And you guys came and stayed with us. And I remember you were exhausted. Kevin wasn't here and it was just you and Elodie and you were here for like four or five days And I just remember, oh my gosh, she is going through it. I have to add there because you were talking about me that time when I came and that was like, that was a few weeks before we worked with a sleep consultant, like before our lives were completely transformed. And also Elodie came with some sort of mystery daycare virus and BB cleaned up her vomit in the middle of the night. And I was like, this is true friendship. Like she's helping me clean out the pack and play. And then she and Sam both got this, you know, virus that like all the daycare viruses that you'd never know where they come from. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is true friendship. So I appreciate you saying that, but yes, I see all of the, you know, love. And I think that's the piece, right? Like that empathy that we want to have for each other. And it doesn't mean that like one person's is harder than the other, but there there's, yeah, there's this layer of like, well, I know people still waiting and hoping for a baby, so I should just be happy. Um, you know, but we can have empathy and care for the people that are you know on that journey, but also understand that it's okay to to be able to talk about some of the difficulties of parenthood too. For sure. I don't know. What do you think, Erin? I feel like you have a lot of thoughts on this subject. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's not like it's a loaded topic or anything, but it's funny because I think infertility. Yes, you get this sort of. I don't want to call it a a chip on your shoulder, but you know, it's the haves and the have nots and the have nots, people that have not been able to have a baby, right. They make these kind of semi judgments about, well, when we have our baby, we won't complain. Or when we have our baby, blah, 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 because it's been a struggle. But 
like parenting is hard. Fertility is hard. Infertility is very hard. But so is parenting. It's not like there's just this magical process. And so I think that's where, I think that's a lot of why people feel like they're not allowed to say anything if they've gone through infertility, because they don't want the other members of the club to not, you know, to be mad at them about it. But like, it's true. Parenting is hard. Infancy is hard. There's how many like books and stories and movies and (laughs) for millennia, like people talk about, this is really challenging. So whether or not it was easy for you to have your baby doesn't really have anything to do with the parenting experience. So I think we just need to like, let that go. Like if, if your baby came easily, it doesn't matter because parenting is hard. If your baby was hard, it doesn't matter because parenting is hard. So let's just all create a space where we can acknowledge that parenting is a challenge, whatever that brings. And it's fine for all of us to have those conversations. You know, it's funny. Um, one of one of the a friend that I met who also has MS, who also went through IVF. I remember her telling me one day, and this was several years ago now. She was like, "It's okay to complain about your kids when you get them." She's like, "I just want you to know that it's okay to complain." I remember being like, "What?" Like, I like it was like, just like, it wasn't like in context of anything. It was just like her, just like it's okay. Like she has three yeah. babies. She just wanted me to know. And I thought that was really interesting. And it's not something I've thought about again until just this moment. But I feel like that makes so much sense. I also think that's just a big social media thing too. I think social media has propagated this whole context about where not supposed to complain about being parents or being mothers. And I think it's total BS. Mm -hmm. You know, in the 1950s, people hardly even interacted with their children. Their children were taught discipline and quiet and that was it they didn't have game night and all the all the things that we've created that we now have these must do's we nobody did that and then in the 70s and in the 80s people were like oh yeah i don't even see my kids like they're here i mean they're somewhere right they sent us out to play they said they just did not have this now we're like children are fish in a bowl and parents just feel like they need to be watched and monitored and evaluated at all times of the day. That whole concept is why people complain more about their kids now. (laughs) Because in the olden days, they didn't complain about them because they were not spending that much time with them and or children were just, they behaved so differently. They were so disciplined that I just don't think parents have the same relationship to children that they have now. So I think social media is a big part of creating this whole, like, look at me and my perfect family. And it's total BS. I don't care who you are, what your pictures look like. On the other side of that is a shit show. The end, full stop. Like, even if your kid is good, typically they're going to have issues. There's just no way around it. So I didn't have a lot of social media presence in my household when when the kids were little, it existed, but it wasn't, it certainly wasn't what it is today. And it still wasn't something that I was super interested in. So I didn't have any of that. I didn't have that sensation. And the people that I, for the people that I were friends with that had friends, most of them had kids that were older than mine and they had already been there. And it was easy to call them and be like, what is happening? And they'd be like, oh, girl, I remember that. And it was fine. We never had any of this weird 
I'm not allowed to talk about the difficulties of parenting. I didn't have that with my friends. My friends were absolutely like, oh, girl, you're in the club now. Ha, ha, ha. I can't wait to hear about it. And it was totally comfortable. So it's almost strange for me to hear this conversation about people feeling like they're not allowed to express any feelings about the difficulties of parenting because my experience wasn't that way at all. I think that's sad. I think that says a lot about where we are as a culture. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think now there's like, there's a level two of all of these like quote unquote parenting experts on social media saying what your child should or shouldn't be doing. And I have to qualify myself as, you know, putting out content in there for, for sleep. And I always have this sense of like, oh, I don't want this to be received the wrong way because I know if I post something that's like your baby's sleep at this age, it goes huge because everyone's like, oh, this is what I need to know. But those are the pieces that I want to be like, no, actually, if your kid's not doing this, like there's nothing wrong, you know, like where there's this idea of like, if I'm not doing this, I'm a bad mom or my kid's not doing something right. And that is so charged when it comes to baby sleep, because then there's this side, like if you're not responding to your baby's every single cry, every single need and sacrificing every one of your you know, needs for your baby, then you're not a good mom. But then if you're over here wanting sleep, then you're not, there's these, there's these extremes where it's hard then I think for parents to tune into like, what do I know best for my own baby who is different than my friend's baby who's sleeping at this age through the night and all these different kind of extremes that are out there. There's so much information at, you know, the fingertips of parents that they can be like, okay, I should be doing this. And the idea of what a good parent is, is almost rooted right now in perfection when we know from research all kinds of psychology research what what a good parent means is like just being there like being good enough not perfect all the time like just you know responding most of the time like it's not where every single need you're always putting your child above you that actually can lead to you know burnout, you know, parental uh, mental health issues where then it's harder to be present for your child because you're, you've sacrificed your own mental health, if that makes sense. Doesn't that sound just like hustle culture in general though? Like for millennials, like it's exactly the same thing, right? If you're not sacrificing everything and in the hospital and still responding to emails, then you're not a good worker. And the opposite, if you take time and set boundaries, then you're not a good worker. Like it's the exact same thing, right? It's the exact same mental space. I don't know. That seems such a strange thing that that's what's happened to our culture, right? I don't know. Yeah. And I think there's this idea, like, even if we could be perfect, the idea of quote unquote perfect, that I would argue is not, you know, no good, but if we're like, if we could be perfect, that would actually really damage our kids. Kind of related to what you were saying, Erin, like where we can't all the time be like doing everything and watching them in a, in a fishbowl. Cause that's actually not good for our kids development. Like we do need to step back and, you know, what do I need right now as an individual? Do I need to take some time for self-care? Do I need to prioritize, you know, if I'm in the depths of sleep deprivation and need some support and there are you know, resources that I'm able to tap into, you know, that's okay to do. That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong or that, you know, you're not a, a, as good of a mom or, or dad as the person next to you. It might just be your individual child maybe has, you know, struggles in this area of sleep or this area of, you know, behavior or feeding or whatever it is. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, but it's hard not to feel that judgment, I think, in our generation. For sure, in all aspects of life. Yeah. I also feel like you're all signing up for it. 
And I don't mean that as a, it's not a criticism, but like, I just, you don't have to live your whole life on social media. It just, yeah. you, you really don't have to. Like literally you can not be on social media and still exist. <laughs> and in fact, it can be really helpful. So I feel like social media is systematically dismantling any kind of significant intuition. Mm -hmm. You're surrendering any type of inkling of self-directed movement in favor of being told by literally we have named them influencers. And if that doesn't tell you something, then we've got problems. Okay. You, we call them influencers and then everybody just eats it with a spoon and it's totally optional. <laughs> I yeah. guess that, you know, Brian, Brian and I always have this social media thing. Like I have a lot of, I have a lot of push and a lot of pull, you know, I, it's a real, but it, I don't know. I just feel like your generation more than mine, my generation is old enough that we did not integrate that into our world until we were in our 20s. So we didn't grow up with it. So I don't feel like as many people that are my age feel so um, corralled by social media, but it really is like, it's, it's sheep herding. It's taking people who are actively participating in these directives because I really don't think that they understand that they can opt out. And that's a little bit shocking to me. The whole concept of like, I don't know. I, I've made all my decisions just based on what felt right for my my family and what what was unique to our needs. And I was so comfortable doing that. And it makes me so sad to hear all these conversations about women feeling like they're not able to do that. But part of it is like, well, then take your freaking power back. Stop watching all the things and all the people who were telling you who to be and how to be it mm -hmm. and just be. I just feel like that kind of applies to like lots of different conversations. It applies to the conversations we have about fertility and about mothering and about being leaders. And you know what I mean? It's just so strange to me what yeah. social media is doing to people and how they still seem to keep eating it up. Yeah, Even once we've recognized like, maybe this isn't so good for me, but I'm so addicted to it that I can't stop doing it. I don't know. I just have a I real, think, I think I have twitches about that. There's two things that makes me think of is um, the first is like in parenting, like we're so quick to put screen time boundaries around for our kids and like all these things, we gotta make our kids good. But it's really hard to have those boundaries with ourselves that we know, like I can easily be like, oh no, I shouldn't click the ignore of my limit for Instagram and like keep staying on there, but I do. And like, but we're quick with kids. Oh, I don't want to mess them up. So I don't want to have, give them the screen time. But then the other piece I wonder too, with this very unique time and like pandemic parenting, like trying to have a community, I know for myself, like there's, and it's almost this like this idea that you have a community online where you're going, oh, and they, I know this about this person, like and this, but it's not the actual sense of community where they validate you and make you feel like they're part of your community. So I wonder if there's also this like hunger for like when everybody was on their own, like, oh, I want to feel connected to people, but it's actually had a negative impact in that. Yes, like Aaron, like we haven't been able to really dig into our intuition of what, you know, hey, we have this unique individual child in front of us and we have these, you know, thoughts and intuitions about how to parent our own child, but are ignoring that in favor of what we think is best from 
different people online. So, you know, Chinese medicine has a lot to say about the early stages of parenting, about postpartum period. And I mean, and Chinese culture in general, you know, they have such a different viewpoint of what should be happening in that phase. And ultimately, like mother and baby, especially, but family, whole family, mother and baby should really be in a bubble of isolation. And that is developing the bond that is bringing a new being onto the planet where literally everything around them is new and they have to learn how to be here and how to deal with it. And we have created the noisiest, loudest culture. And then we're like smashing these babies out into the world way before they're really ready to absorb that kind of stimulation. And instead of focusing on the bond, we fill the space with more chatter from like social media and this kind of false, false community thing. Instead of just relying on I'm me and this is baby and we're, we're creating a symbiotic relationship. And let me learn to identify the baby's needs and let me learn to identify my needs in relation to the baby. But anytime that that happens, instead of just focusing on the bond, we go to social media and we find somebody who's going to tell us what the bond should look like. And then we compare what our bond like looks like to theirs and what this baby's schedule looks like to this. And so it's like you said, that's what I mean. Like it's dismantling the idea that these bonds are unique. And that the focus of the relationship should be the time spent between the two and not what other people are telling you to do about the time spent between the two. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's funny because Chinese medicine, like, is kind of anti all of this stuff. Like, if you would just sit down, be quiet, sleep, eat, and spend time with baby, not that you would have all the answers. I don't mean that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's that intuition. It's learning when things are good and when things are not good and learning your own nuances and not having to rely on other people's assessments all the time. And I just feel like, again, that's something that we've really let go of. People are like stuffing babies in carriers and banging out the door and we're on airplanes and we're here and we're there. And those little beings of course they're overstimulated. They're not designed for that. So right. They're not sleeping great. And, you know, I don't know. I just think the whole parenting, the whole parenting concept has changed so much so quickly that I don't think the babies have caught up to what we're able to do with them. And I think they're maybe suffering a little bit in that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting too, because I think about now that I have two children and like they're very different beings when it comes to sleep and just personality and temperament and all of that, um, that I, I totally agree with you that like that intuition, I feel like there, there's also this judgment so early on, especially with sleep, it can be such a charged topic. I don't think I, I realized like going through myself, how it was and how I felt like, okay, I I don't know which decision to make because so many people are telling me what to do and what's going to affect my attachment with my baby or not, that it was hard to like, listen to what I know. Um, but now too, I realized that I still get triggered by some beautiful accounts that say, just respond to your baby all the time. And, and I, I totally believe 
you should be able to nurse or feed your baby to sleep if that feels comfortable. That's a very natural thing. And it's also okay if, if at some point you've been doing that five times a night up until a year and a half and you feel like this is not sustainable anymore and that's okay to make a change. But there's also people that would say, no, that's normal. You should just do that and be okay with it. Otherwise you're not following your baby's needs. And so I think there's this balance of like, it's not so black and white of one mm -hmm. or the other. It's like each kid is different. Even my two children are extremely different. My first she was so and she would get so overstimulated easily and she still is like that she is my like strong willed like gonna change the world just taking in everything around her at every moment people's emotions and thinking and all of the things and my second he's pretty chill and i would if i had only had him i'd be like why do people even need sleep consultants like yeah it's hard <laughs> here or there but like fine like this is how babies are but like hers was so particularly hard that i felt so strongly like what am I doing wrong? I'm nursing her. I'm trying to co-sleep like people said would solve it. And all she's doing is awake and climbing over me and no one's getting sleep. So I think rather than like, if you do this and co-sleep, that's the best way for your baby. Or if you, if you sleep train, that's the best way. It's like each child is different. Even I've worked with people that it's their second or third child. And they're like, we thought we had it figured out and we were doing everything great. But now we realize that our first two were just a little more easygoing with sleep. And now our third is like really tough and we did everything the same. So I think what I really like to share with parents when I work with them is like, there's nothing you have done to cause these struggles with sleep. And this is not your fault. Like every child is different and it's the same, you know, with any like struggle that we go through with parenting. And I'm sure, I mean, I haven't experienced it personally, but you know, walking alongside you, baby, like there are so many pieces you can be like, what did I do to cause this? Or why is this happening to me? And a lot of times there are either no answers or it's just things that, you know, it's not your fault. And I think even just saying that to parents, it usually brings them to tears. And I would say particularly my, my families that have gone through infertility struggles because it's it's been that thread of like, what did I do? What did I do to cause this? And like, okay, now my baby won't sleep. Like, well, am I not fit for this? And I felt that even, you know, ha not having infertility struggles, like, wow, I thought I was fit to be a mom, but like, I'm not doing this right. And then when my second came along and things went so smoothly, I was like, wow, I'm such a good mom. I never realized that because I was basing all of that in my child's cries. And like, just because a baby cries more, shouldn't be a reflection of like, you're a better, you know, we hear this oh, is it a good baby or not? Like, no, all babies are good babies, but some have expressed their needs more. And like, that's okay. And that shouldn't be like, oh, I'm doing it right because my baby doesn't cry as much. And like, I'm doing it wrong because my baby's upset a lot and needs more support. Or maybe we need to go through this responsive sleep training and we see our baby be really well rested and our family's happy. Like, that's all that matters, right? Not other people judging you for like why you did things or why your journey went a certain way. Mm -hmm. I think that's back to what both of y'all were saying is you have to trust your gut instinct, right? Your gut instinct is I need support, then you should go get support. Like that is, and I think that that's all the same thing at the end of the yeah. day. Like if that's what your I gut the same thing. I'm sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I think the same thing, even going to the pediatrician, Yeah. even a simple pediatrician appointment, you're put on the, okay, here's the spectrum of children and here's where your child is. And you know, you have these milestone things. And so as soon as your baby does anything that feels like it deviates, they start this conversation about, about that. Oh, you're deviating from the chart. And part of it 
okay, good. Let's put a pin in that and let's see, you know, what, what level on the spectrum are we talking about? I mean, if it's obviously something that's like a gross abnormality, that's one thing, but some of these reference points, like they're so arbitrary. And I just, when the twins were little, I got so they were twins, right? I had two at the same time. So I had an expectation that they might not be like every other child. I couldn't possibly grow two babies as big as most babies are growing singularly. Like I just physically didn't have the room. So of course they started a little bit behind. And it was like my pediatrician was always giving me this sort of tisk tisk finger about, well, they're only at the 20% mark. And I was like, but they were they were twins they're going to catch up and they might not maybe they'll be like me they'll be petite humans but I just remember being so irritated that I was always on this like comparison spectrum analysis and I would leave there and be like these babies are good they're healthy we're good our relationship is good we're figuring it out day by day leave me alone and that's my nature you know my nature is to be okay with that but I know so many other people don't have that same kind of solidarity. And especially in that doctor patient thing, I guess I have enough medical training to feel like I can hold my own in that setting. But I can see other people, even in the very beginning at that first two week appointment, already starting to feel the effects of, well, your baby's not doing it right. This is what's right. And it's not doing it right. And you're the caretaker. Therefore, you must be participating in the fact that the baby's not doing it right. You know, like it starts yeah. building this rhetoric of self-doubt. So I'm not, I know this is probably a hot topic and I'll probably get a lot of pushback. Like I'm not parent blaming or parent shaming. I just feel like pediatrician even doesn't really facilitate a lot of that context. Mm -hmm. They just put you on the spectrum and give you this point of reference, but there's not a lot of feedback about like, listen, you and your baby are going to figure this out the way that it works for you. And I feel like if that was the way that we opened up these conversations, it would start building empowerment in new moms and new dads and whatever, instead of already from the get-go feeling like, oh, we're not doing it right. We're not hitting our marks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's all, happens, we always talk about the messaging. It's all in the messaging. Yeah. I feel like that even happens like literally day one in the hospital. If it's like, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate to have some really good lactation um, counselors come in, but there's all this, I've heard other horror stories where it's like, oh, you're not doing this right. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm not doing this right from the start. And with my second, it was our feeding journey with, with trying to breastfeed. And we had all sorts of allergy intolerances. And this back to that perfectionism, I gave up so much food to try to see what was bothering him that I was withering away. And like, at what point did I feel like I had to get to that point before I made a change? Like, it's okay to realize, oh, you know, I need to do what's right for my mental health. But that, I mean, that piece, Aaron, I think I want to channel you, like where you came away from that appointment. Like, <laughs> no, like I know my babies are okay and healthy. And like, that's what, I mean, I've been fortunate to have some really good providers that say that, like, where I'm like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong. And they're like, no, like your baby's really healthy. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, Okay, so that like that sense of knowing that you articulated, Erin, I think is so beautiful. And I think if people, rather than go right to social media and be like, oh my gosh, what should my baby be eating at there? What should I, what should their weight be at this age? Like, if you know your baby is fine, they're okay. And maybe they're not right, you know, on the curve the same as in that, you know, middle of the range, but they're okay and you're okay. And 
then that's what matters. Yeah, those were challenging times because of that. And, you know, just starting out my family having two babies at once is definitely a spin on it. And it was interesting that even when they were in utero, they were different people. The way that they felt inside my body was special and different. And I would, it's funny, like baby A was my constant companion. He was sort of, it was like, he was sort of a, just a gentle, but pretty constant touch. You know, when you can feel the baby kick and what, like, I could always feel his little touches consistently. And I used to think like, do you ever sleep? Cause it feels like he was petting me, you know, like he just was always letting me know that he was there. And the other one was like a turtle in a shell. He would just sort of go dormant and I wouldn't feel anything and he'd be really quiet. And then I'd be poking at him like, Hey, um, you know, this guy's always moving. What are you doing in there? And I would think like, Hmm, are we okay? And it was that way when we had to do ultrasounds, they'd have to kind of poke at him to try to get him to move because he'd all be balled up. And the other baby was like, arms and legs were spread out and he was like having the best time. They're still that way. Like that's who they are. They're still different. So even though they were in there together, I was already learning the differences in their personality. Archer, baby B, he's very hot and cold. He's like on or off, on or off. And Ryder is the opposite. He's sort of just like super chill, ever present. He's not hard to read. You always know what he's thinking. You can tell what he's feeling. He just, they're very different. And I just think even having that experience be my first one, as difficult as it was to have two at once, it also helped me really get grounded in parenting part on my end you know and I I mean I think that's just like a special thing that most people don't get most people don't ever get to have that experience but I really looked at it in that way and then when my daughter came it was that feeling like oh my gosh this is the easiest baby if this is all it's like to have a onesie then like you guys have nothing to complain about it was definitely easier to only have one, but also she was an easy baby. She yeah, was just different from them. And I was so grateful because the first go around was tough. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to say I love you the best, but <laughs> this is a good beginning for us because <laughs> it was definitely a child. It was a challenge to learn how to nurse, to nurse two and to learn to nurse two babies that had different needs. And So I like all these things to say, like, I didn't do it perfectly. I mean, we had hard days. There would be times when the twins would just be crying and like, you know, there are times when they're fed, they're clean, they're this, they're that. I don't understand why we're upset, but when one was upset, the other one got upset. And there were times where I just sat in between them and I cried too. And I would just cry as long as they were crying. And at some point we'd all kind of look at each other and be like, okay, moving on. And like, I just let myself crumble. I didn't have a hard time giving myself permission to do that. And when my husband came home, I'd be like, your turn. I got to go for a walk. Because again, I, I don't feel like we had all of these social media resources. If I'd had access to those things, this might be a different conversation. But there wasn't a snooze baby when I had mine. So 
I think there was a little bit of a permission to just figure it out, to deal with it, to, you know, get to the end of it, whatever. Because back then it was like websites and books. That was pretty much all you had. And who had the time to read a book? And websites are not particularly helpful as far as like teaching you how to do something. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean. Like the whole continuum with what we have with social media is so different now. There's certainly these wonderful blessings to have people like you, Jillian, that can say, hey, have you tried this? I would have paid a million dollars, but I couldn't find you. So there's definitely an upside to it. But it's, yeah, yeah, like you said, it's that middle. It's finding that place where you can trust yourself, but also reach for help when you need it. It's very interesting to even my oldest, she just turned five in July. And even five years ago, when she was such a colicky baby and so tough, there wasn't, I mean, there were a couple things on social media that were sleep related things, but not the influx of things that are at your hand. Like I didn't even know a sleep consultant was a thing. And now there are so many, even you'll go online and there's people talking about wake windows and one person will say it's this song and the next person will say it's this song. Like there's not even a true, like evidence, I mean, it's evidence-based as far as like babies can stay awake for a certain amount of time. And then they're, you know, likely to fall asleep, but like the amount of time, there's no specific perfect amount. Like every baby's a little bit different, but I think about that too, Erin, because I can't imagine with two, but when my second came around and he didn't really cry as a newborn, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what people mean when they just snuggle and they post me like, I'm loving the newborn phase. Like my mom who had six children came to stay with us when my oldest was born and was like, I was like, she seems to cry a lot. And she's like, no, 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 she, she cries a lot. Like this is, so I was like, okay, at least. And we would be walking the halls of our apartment. I feel so bad for our neighbors now. Like we were living in downtown Austin. My husband, luckily he had paternity leave. We were so fortunate to have that with her. We would just take turns walking for hours up and down the halls and she would just scream and scream and scream. And now I know she was probably just so overstimulated, like a lot of things, you know, just a lot of things contributing, just her temperament and personality. But I just remember thinking like, why can I not soothe my baby? And then when I had a second who just was like an easy baby, it's like, if I had had all that social media around me with my first, I would have been so overwhelmed. Like, okay, well, what am I doing wrong? And it really, for us, it took one individual to sit down with us and our particular family and make a personalized approach because I'm seeing more and more families come to me as an expert on sleep because they've seen so many accounts online. But what that is, is all these different pieces of information, but nobody sat down and been like, what are your goals for your family? Let's look at your individual baby. Let's talk about this. And that's what I get to do with families. And so they'll come to me and be like, oh no, I know the wake window is this, I know this. And it's like, okay, let's take a deep breath and let's look at your individual family and see what's right for your baby. Even though yes, you're surrounded by so much information but it can almost be paralyzing the amount of stuff that's at your fingertips but it's not been particularly for you. It's just what people are putting out as free content. And sometimes that can be really helpful to have somebody look in what are your goals, validate that, you know, it's okay to want what you want. And it's, let's see what can be done to help your specific family. Yeah. That like is a common thread in every industry at this point, because that's the exact same thing that happens with infertility patients is that Mm -hmm. you you see all of these IVF influencers out. Well, this is what worked for me. This is what got me pregnant. So then everybody wants to be like, well, then let me try that. But 99% of the time it's, not applicable to your case at all. So then you waste time going down the rabbit hole, doom scrolling, trying to find more information. You take that to your doctor and your doctor's like, 
no, like that has nothing to do with you. Like, so, but you become like Dr. Google or, you know, do your own research. That's like my least favorite term to come out of 2020 because nobody actually knows how to do their own research. You know, like nobody really <laughs> does. So like, I just, I just think that that's a common thread in every industry now. I mean, at least that's what I'm observing. Again, like, I don't want to sound like just Miss Social Media, the poo-poo person, but I feel like people also need to remember that they do have, an, you know, that innate sense of how to, but you have to like, give it a second. You know, that's the thing with social media culture is that as soon as something happens, you're Googling it, you're looking it up, you're trying to solve it. And there's no space to like, hmm, this is interesting. I'm just going to watch and see what happens. I'm going to let this play out a little bit. Like we are, so again, it's the hustle culture. Like we are solutions oriented. We are problem solving. We are on the ball. We have all the tools we need to do. And there's no space in there for just learning it naturally and like learning it not to say that that doesn't have a terminus right like at some point I had to call somebody and say I can't feed these babies something is not right here and as soon as she came and re-situated my my whole being about how I was nursing the babies it was like magical so but you know we don't have to solve the problem the minute that it happens and then you have other people who want to get ahead of it. We don't even want to have sleepless nights ever. So we're going to learn how to sleep train while we're pregnant so that by the time baby gets here, we're turning it into this perfect being. Please stop. Mm -hmm. Does that happen a lot, Yeah. And then there's these expectations. I'll get messages online. And, oh, my baby's two weeks old and like they're not sleeping. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's normal. Like I know <laughs> whatever you can to like take shifts. The most I I have um, a newborn ebook that I wrote based off of everything I wish I knew was my first, and so much of it is just what is normal, right? Like what is okay, and it doesn't mean that you can't complain that this is really hard and you need to reach out for support. But you can't sleep train a newborn. Like that's not healthy. That's not good, and that's not something that they are even capable of doing. Like we need to hold your baby for naps. We can also practice laying them down in the bassinet so that they can get used to that as well. But I have like, it's like 90 pages of like just writing about that this is this is okay and this is what we can do to help, yeah, build a, a healthy sleep foundation if your goal is that you can sleep in multiple locations. But to get rid of that judgment that, oh my gosh, if I feed my baby to sleep or if I contact nap, then oh my gosh, they're not gonna sleep later and I need to make sure they sleep because I need to be able to go back to work, like all these things. All of those things can happen and you can also enjoy that beautiful newborn time of getting to know your baby. Like those first few weeks, they say, focus on, you know, building a feeding relationship in whatever way that is, you know, working with people to establish good feeding because you're never going to have a good sleeper if they're not, you know, being fed well, healing from, you know, if it's, and then the last one is bonding, like, you know, whatever way your baby has come to you, we need to have that time to just bond and get to know your baby. Sleep stuff can come later. Yes, you're going to be exhausted and we need to learn how to like take shifts with it if you have a partner, things like that. But people come to me all the time and are like thinking that sleep training starts that young. And so, and then that's where you can get this here. Things like, oh my gosh, you're having your baby cry too long and things. Sleep training in the way that I do it, I use a very parent present um, method, which can feel really comfortable because I remember I was like, I can't sleep train my baby. I can't have her cry that long. Now that I look at it, she cried for many, many months for a long time of us trying to figure something out. And then in a few nights when we had a plan that felt comfortable to us, 
there was much less crying and it was right for her. But it's just one of those things if sleep training is done right and in a way that feels comfortable to a family, it shouldn't be lots and lots of nights of lots of crying. Like that's not what should happen. It should be a, a plan that feels right. You can be there with your baby, soothe them in a different way than they know, and then they can learn to sleep well. But it's, I definitely agree. Like there are people that, you know, think, okay, I'll have this figured out or I'll never do this when I, once my baby's here. And we do just need to get to know each individual child and, um, you know, see what their needs are before we kind of plan it all out. As much as we want to plan newborn sleep and parenting and babies, it's never going to go like that. It's never going to go as a plan. You know, it's never going to go to plan. I just feel like that's so much of the frustration is that the parents have created this scenario and they're trying to fit the baby in the box. Yeah. And then if the baby does, it's the same thing that we complain about. If the baby doesn't fit in the box, then there's frustration because we're doing this. It should be working. And why isn't it working? And that creates a lot of frustration instead of letting it sort of organically again, like people just used to know like, oh, they have a newborn, you know, like they're, they're crazy, right? They're not sleeping. They're having a typical, nobody had high expectations for people that were at home with a newborn. Now we've created these expectations that we should still be able to carry on this normal way and live like Monday through Friday, normal business hours, like everybody else on the planet. But that's just not really that feasible so when the baby doesn't fit into that, this is how I'm going to do my thing, then we are so frustrated. But you probably would be less frustrated if you just sort of took some of those rules away and just said like, yeah, I don't know, all bets are off. We're going to see how this goes and we're going to figure it out and we'll put some strategies in place to make sure that I can sleep a couple hours and husband gets a good night's sleep. But it's like we've complicated it this extra level by trying to make it look a certain way. Yeah. I just don't think it's that it's, it's not very beneficial for a lot of people. And it's interesting because I feel like definitely in that newborn, those first few months, it's, you know, definitely normal, like all of those weeks. And I think now there's also on the flip side, a lot of messaging that, yes, once there's still a year and all that stuff, like it's still normal to wake. And yes, it's absolutely normal as adults. We wake often throughout the night. But then there's messages that, yes, it's normal. So you should just get through it. And then people feel guilty, like, but I still feel so sleep deprived and sick and I can't function, but I should just step back and know that this is normal. And that's where I also want, and it's kind of a small niche of parents to know that it's also okay to like, yes, we all wake, but if your baby screams when your partner goes in all night because they're just screaming until you nurse them and they're getting this loving like presence from a parent, it's okay to then decide, hey, let's find a plan to help our baby get back to sleep. Because now it's a, this is not function, not sustainable for any of the family. And so there's, I mean, it's so particular to each family, right? And I think that's where right. it's like, we can't put blanket judgments on each other, but we do and on ourselves. I think it's interesting just because, I mean, you guys know, we're, we've been pursuing newborn adoption for a really long time. And the, like our social worker, everybody has told us, we don't want you buying anything. Like we set yourself up for zero expectations. Get a car seat, diapers, wipes, and a bassinet. That's all you buy. And then you figure it out. Like they're so anti-expectation because the beginning, I guess, is just so chaotic that they're like, you just, you just cannot have any expectations for what's going to happen, which I think is really, really interesting coming from a perfectionist overachieving person I just have a car seat that's sitting over there waiting for hopefully the day that we match but like 
as somebody that's a planner, that's really hard, like to not have anything planned, but I literally have nothing planned. <laughs> I mean, honestly, baby, I would say those are the things that you need. There's so much, the baby sleep industry is like so jam packed. Like you have to have this to have a good sleep. You have to have this to have a good sleep. You have to have this to have your baby. And it's like, no, the basic things, exactly a car seat, a bassinet, you know, the diapers, I would say like a nice good swaddle that your baby can be snug in when they're newborn. And then the other stuff is just extras and you can figure out what your baby likes, but there's so much, there's so much extra stuff that feels like we have to have this. Yeah. And especially yeah. I feel like me being a, an infertility person, there's been so much extra that I've had to do. So I feel like extra is on the menu for me. And I look at like, you know, the other, some of the IVF influencers who've had success and like their level of preparedness for their baby is unreal and unmatched. Like I've never seen anything like it. There's one girl that just had a baby. That's amazing. She had a really hard struggle, but like, I'm talking like two months before the baby was born, like her bedside cart was ready with all of her essentials and snacks for her and like, like ready to go. And I'm like, the nursery nursery was done, you know, six months before the baby was born. Like, but like her custom car, snack cart to have by her bed ready. And I was like, oh my God, as a planner, I don't even think I'm ever going to be at that level. Like, I don't think I could ever make it to that level. It's but so why, why do you think she's doing that? Do you think she's doing it for baby or do you think she's doing it for Instagram? That's also on social media. There's a very popular, she's actually very helpful, but she was like a mother baby nurse that has a whole thing about this is what you should have in your bedside cart. So I wonder if that's like a social media thing too. This is what you need. She has like a checklist of all of the things to make sure you have, which like, and some of that stuff is good to like prepare for the postpartum period, but also the idea of like, if so prepared, like also want to have some open openness of like what is this journey gonna bring so we're not disappointed when it doesn't go exactly like we plan right and I guess that's what makes me nervous is that like I am I, I like have no expectations at this point because I just don't want to be disappointed like I, I like inevitably I feel like that will happen whatever way it goes you know so I don't know, like I'm probably completely wrong in all of this, but I just, that makes sense. Just, or you just have a beginner's mind where you should, yeah. where there's life is new and challenging and surprising and you're along for figuring it out as it happens. And what a gift. Yeah. I think that's awesome. That's yeah. a good mindset as much. Yeah. I think that's really, really positive thing. Well, it's just, it's just like a totally different approach, right? I mean, like you're not supposed to have a baby shower when you're adopting, you're not supposed to do any of that. So like, we'll just be, it just will happen, you know? And it's just a different approach to like, I think parenthood in general. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah, for sure. But let go of any ideas that you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're just doing it. There's no right or wrong. You're just doing it. Every parent relationship is not about right and wrong. It's just doing it. I mean, obviously we have like, yes, right and wrong bad, bad things and good things. I don't want to take that away, but you know what I'm saying? The nuances of that, let it go. The same thing happens when people are like, oh, I'm trying to breastfeed and it's not going so, and I only get two ounces and the baby's starving and I'm starving. Then stop. Yeah. Then like, who, who do you need permission from to make the right decision for you and your baby? You know what it is, but you can't seem to embark on it. So who do you need to get permission from to do that? And that's what I mean about the undermining. It's like we're yeah. sacrificing our ability to just self-determine. I just need to do this and we're going to do it and everybody's going to be okay. 
because we're so consumed with trying to do it the way that we're told because so-and-so had a baby cart and she said on the baby cart you need this and that what if your baby doesn't like any of that shit what if your baby has sensitive skin and it doesn't like that i mean yeah i don't know so like let it go but yes if you're a content creator you literally have to create content about something so I'm going to make baby cart and I'm going to stuff it full of shit. And I'm going to tell you that you need all of it because click the bottom and you can buy one here. Come on. Yeah. And honestly, that's the stuff that goes viral is the stuff like you have to have this or you have to do this. <laughs> and so the people like that, cause it's like, okay, this is very clear cut. This is what I need to do to get this response. And like, that's not actually life. Like it doesn't matter. I mean, I agree completely. And like the, you know, formula feeding versus breastfeeding, baby led weaning versus puree, sleep training versus not when they go to preschool, when they're potty training, like all that stuff. It's like, is your kid, is your baby, is your child well-loved? Like that's right. what matters most, right? Like all the other stuff, it all figures itself out. There's not the make or break. It's, if they'll, they'll be a picky eater, if they don't do this or that, it's like you're making the best decision at the time for your individual child and they're well-loved and taken care of. Like that's, you know, that's the most important thing. You're so right. And sometimes I think there's beginner's luck. You know, like you go to the casino, you don't know anything about anything and it's fun and you're winning because you don't care. Parenting, I think, is a little bit like that. Like the more we've cultivated our knowledge and la, 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 sometimes the harder it is to get through it, again, without self-criticism and self-judgment and all those other things, when like, just, just throw the dice, man, just figure it out, have some fun, like be a new challenged parent. That used to be the point. Sorry to interrupt. I say be curious too, right? Like, let's be curious about what our individual child is like or what our journey is going to be like so that we can like remove that judgment piece first and just be curious. And then you can make, you know, some decisions after that rather than just jumping right away. Like, oh, what did I do wrong? Why is my baby like this? Like, let's say, oh, okay, well, my baby has needs for this or does have sensitive skin or, you know, not like, oh, what did I do wrong to like make this happen? And just removing that judgment piece, I think can be really freeing. It's easier said than done. For sure. When the twins were little, you know, you have all, okay, this is how your baby has to sleep and you have to do this and they can't be in a pin or they can't touch and you can't have anything, right? right? You have all the things to prevent sudden death and sudden infant death syndrome. So we were following all those guidelines. So we had to separate them, put one over here and put one over here. And I put them in their bassinets side by side and they're all swaddled up and they're on their back and everything's perfect the way it's supposed to be. And I would come back and they would be at the edge of their bassinets <laughs> trying to be together. And then I'd move them and they would, I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, they're not even physically moving as far as I could tell, but they would work their way together. And then at some point we were like, the crib is big enough for both of them to be in there, you know, side by side. And so we started putting them in the crib side by side and they slept so much better when they were together and they were close enough that they could, I'm sure it was smell when they mm. could smell and sense each other, they slept so much better. When we tried to separate them, everybody was waking up and everybody was more fussy. And it was like that thing, like, I'm just going to take a leap here <laughs> and I'm going to put those two babies next to each other. And that's not what the rule book says, but they're better that way. And then they were able to progress out of that. It wasn't unsafe. It just was, a, that's how the situation worked for us. And so that's what I mean. Sometimes you just have to make a judgment based on like, this seems to be what it needs and I'm going to give it to him and we're going to see how that goes. Things can always go sideways for sure. And, you know, following the directions as best you can. Yes. Great. But 
there are these little specific nuances that you can overlook if you're not paying attention. Yeah, totally. Oh gosh, we've been talking a long time. I know. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> <fast>. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> this has been so awesome. I'm, I don't know. I just, I just adore you, Jill. You know that. And I'm just so <laughs> I feel the same about you. And I am just like so in awe, Aaron and Brian, about this beautiful community that you are creating and just love watching, you know, everything you're doing. Thanks. We're really excited. And well, thank you so much for being with us. Jill, do you have any parting words? Tell us. Oh, thank you so much. Go ahead. Also, also tell everybody where they can find you on socials, even though oh, we're yeah. talking about crazy stuff with social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be able to chat with you all and kind of um, dive into a topic like this that I know is sensitive for, for a lot of people. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah. And the, the major takeaway of any of this is like, you know what, you know yourself best, you know your baby best. And that is what's most important to kind of feel grounded in that when it feels like there's so many outside voices, whether it's social media or friends or family, and it's well-intentioned people, like you have that intuition. And so that's really important to kind of, you know, that, that innate knowing and remember that. But yes, yeah, so you can find me on, speaking of social media, on Instagram. <laughs> I try to create a space to like know that, you know, you can feel validated in your struggles, but um, at Snooze Baby Co., my website is snoozebabyco.com. Um, I also, um, and you can, I don't know if you'll put this in the notes or anything, I created a um, code to be able to, so that any of your listeners or anybody in the fertility resort can get my newborn sleep ebook for free um, that I have as like a guide online. So it'll be protected space. They can um, put that in. So I'll make sure that you all have that. Um, again, to be able to start out on this space that like, you know, newborn sleep, normalize the, the difficulties with it and, and kind of going through that. So if I can ever be of any assistance to anybody, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, also, if you, I know we talked about I have an autoimmune disorder. I'm also open book about that. I have ulcerative colitis if anybody's going through that with parenthood um, or just fertility. So I'm, I'm definitely an open book and, and would love to talk with anyone. Oh, thank you, Jill. That is such a nice thing to do. Um, anyway, I, I hope everybody takes her up on that because that's amazing. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so thanks. much. And also I would just like to say Jill's content is fantastic. It is the most empowering, probably <laughs> social media channel you'll ever come across as a new parent or a parent hopefully to be. So anyways, um, all that said, thank you so much for being here, Jill. Thank, thank you. you, Jill. It's great thank to talk to you. Yeah. I wish I'd had your, your stuff when I had those twin babies who never slept. Hey, I am all <laughs> in awe of you. Twin mamas, they're something special. So, <laughs> well, we just don't have any choice. That's all. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. I feel like that's the answer to everything though, is that you just don't, didn't have a choice, right? So you just did. Right. You just figure it out. You don't have a choice. We're going to get there one way or the other. So it could be bumpy, but it, that's what I mean. It could have been probably a lot smoother had I had a little bit of access. So thanks, Jill. Awesome. Thank you. The Protected Space Podcast is hosted by Aaron Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by The Fertility Resort. To learn more about us, head over to thefertilityresort.com and give us a follow on all social platforms at Protected Space Pod. 